2: Welcome
3: to
2: the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, assuming you've been here before. In today's show, Elliot and Paul will be joined by special guest Clive from the Ramble podcast to discuss the 4-0 victory away to Nottingham Forest in the EFL Cup. Uh, a good performance it was too. I enjoyed that. Nice to see us make 11 changes and the team look so uh, cohesive. In years gone by, when we've made a lot of changes, we've often looked a bit disjointed, but that wasn't the case a few nights ago. So that was good to see. Away from home you get a committed team, you can easily fall over, as we did last season at Sheffield Wednesday and as many teams have done in the past too. Really pleased with a lot of the youngsters and um, a lot of our fringe players, if you can call Jacko and any fringe players uh, anyway so that's good I'm glad we've got a decent game at home in the next round hopefully we can see a lot of those faces again not to take it for granted but if they play with the same commitment and, and high tempo uh, we, we should be able to get through and um, rest a lot of players which is good 8 goals in 2 games uh, a rested squad looks good on paper at least anyway back after Chelsea oh I'd love to beat them again it's overdue now so we need to get our home form back on track so beating Chelsea will be good Join the podcast. Back after that.
1: 4-0 to the Arsenal, an occasion to cheer on all your favorite players who will never play in a meaningful league game. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I'm joined, as always, by Paul. You can find him on Twitter at in my pants. Hello, Paz. Oh. Okay. And I am uh pleased to uh introduce someone you probably know from the Gunner Ramble pod. His name is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Clive, thank you so much for coming on.
4: Thank you for asking me. Looking forward to it.
1: We call that podultery. Podultery. You are committing podultery. <laughs> um I'd commit more podultery, but there are only so many pods that will allow me to be with them in the biblical sense. Um Yeah, so great occasion. It was League Cup. Um and uh, it's it's kind of been a fun competition down the years, if you take out that one final that we won't speak of. Um, you know, we, we can think of Sir Chips Vela made his name in the League Cup. We can think of 7-5 against Reading, which is actually apropos because that's who we're playing in the next round. We'll get to that. This was a fun one. 4-0 to the Arsenal at Nottingham Forest. Could have been a tricky match, but we made easy work of it. And I joked at the start that we got to see all our favorite players who won't play in a meaningful league fixture, but that does seem to be the hot topic right now. So let's dive right into it, Clive. Um, we saw Shaq and Neni partnered in central midfield. It was a pretty dominating and uh, enjoyable performance from them. What did you think of the partnership?
4: Uh, well, I love the partnership. I think... Um... As soon as we signed Shaka I thought, this may be the go-to partnership. They've both got sort of five-year contracts. They're both 23. They're both tall. They're both dominating. they both play of one touch. The chemistry seemed good on paper, and then we got a chance to see it in a real game. And I wonder if that was one of the main exercises of that game, looking at the partnerships, looking at the chemistry of those two. It's not very often you get a £35 million player playing in the, uh, in the League Cup, right? So he looked to me, he was looking at that specifically. I think he's already quoted that he felt he would have some stability with Cochrane and kozola Keep them two in the middle, I reckon with those two are great and the chemistry is great. We all know how they play. But their ceiling, how high is the ceiling of Cochrane and kozola It's probably not quite as high as the ceiling of Neni and Shaka. And with this big squad, we're all picking our teams, right? We're all picking our combinations and we're all picking our favorite players and as Arsenal fans we've got a squad that's quite healthy and quite deep. I often ask myself how comfortable we are with that. How comfortable mm-hmm. are we with this big squad? Are we trying to get our favourites in in our own mind and it's, then agit and then agitate when they're not actually when they're not actually there. But maybe we may have to sit back and actually trust the manager that he might know what he might be doing <laughs> and he's developing a plan. And it might just be that we're a work in progress, right? So, um, But looking at those two, there wasn't a lot wrong. And the only, the only thing that stops me going overboard is that the opposition was... It wasn't Chelsea, it was at Night the first?
1: You leave that sensible, circumspect shit on your pod. You bring some strong, heated takes on this pod, my friend.
4: <laughs> I'm warming, up, warming up, warming up.
1: Okay, I'm kidding. Um, no, I, I I agree with all of that. I think, look, the one thing that gets forgotten is part of football is enjoying watching it, and part of that is rooting for the players you really like, and everybody has favorites. You know, I don't enjoy watching Francis Coughlin play. That doesn't mean he's a bad player, but he doesn't fit my eye, so to speak. I don't enjoy watching Olivier Giroud play. I recognize he has qualities. I'd rather watch a pacey forward who likes to run around a lot. Um, so we're always going to be a little bit susceptible to those things. I think the other point I, you touched. I th- like
3: that phrase, by the way. The fit my eye, yeah, that, that resonates with me. I, yeah, some I, players. I know what you mean on both sides. Yeah. yeah, fit
1: your eye better, and then some players just fit everybody's eye. I think, um, you know, Clive. Another point you made is us being comfortable with a big squad. And the one thing I do sometimes wonder is, obviously, you need a big squad to survive. You know, sixty plus games a season. But you look at Leicester last season, who won the title with basically one eleven. Um, you know, they they had eleven players, and that's who they played. And there is something to be said for really knowing your best team and putting it out every game, um, certainly every meaningful game. And, Paul, I think that's really the question, right? I mean, everybody's got an opinion, and I would suggest that maybe even the manager himself is still sort of trying to figure out what the best – 11 is. Now you could say horses for courses, you know, based on the game, but, but there's something to be said for knowing your best team. And what I want to ask you is you are someone who is a huge fan of Francis Cochran And, well, let me rephrase that because I think I might be putting your words in your mouth there. Yeah. You were someone who thinks Francis Cochran does a much better job than he's given credit for.
3: Yeah. And that that Coxorla is a working partnership. Yeah. And we should not forget that it was one of the best midfields two years ago. Yes. That's that's my, that's my, my gig, So yeah. then
1: let me ask you this. Watching Elneny and Shaka do it differently, watching them ah. exchange slick one-touch passes yeah. and and I go, then you stay, then you stay, and I go, and the, the way they s- recycle possession and the way the ball pinged yeah. around, and d- did you get a sense, hey, you know, maybe, just maybe, this would be a preferable way to go, or do you feel that since it was against Nottingham Forest and it's a totally different kind of competition, you just can't compare?
3: So I don't think... This Forest game was a very good game. They were very intense.
1: They're not a bad uh, side. Look, they're not far off Hull. I, w- I would I would suggest that if they
3: Hull were better than Forest. Hull.
1: Yeah, they, exactly.
3: Uh, yeah. Uh, but maybe maybe they aren't as a squad and as a team, but in terms of how they took us on, they left no quarter. Right. I mean, you could hear it in the crowd, right? Well, I mean, the-
1: Lansbury was trying to kill everyone.
3: <laughs> yeah, fucking cocksucker. <laughs> what, Honestly, do you think someone's a little bit fucking- bitter that they
1: didn't make it at Arsenal?
3: <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, unbelievable. So, anyway, let me, not, let me see if I can piece together my thoughts there, because cause I had some. Um, so, I think it was a very meaningful test. Yeah, it, you know, it's not Chelsea. But I think it was a very, very meaningful test, particularly in midfield. Because they did not give us space. They did not stand off us. I'm not saying it's it was Guardiola level. I'm not saying it was Klopp level. But this was a really good game for our midfield. Now, the thing, you, you know the way you and one or two others make fun of me for not being critical of any of our players?
1: <laughs> do I do that?
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so,
3: fine. <laughs> you're going to love this. Yeah. I didn't think Nenny was that good. Okay. Uh, I thought... I thought he was very meh, as in Emmy Mohamed El Nenny. No, I just made that up. I thought he was very meh. And <laughs> I think if you listen to Wenger, he has been cool on El Nenny for a while now. The guy hasn't played this year. Um, well, I don't mean ever. I mean much. Um, I was more impressed with El Nenny when he first arrived I felt he you, you could really feel his dynamism, his t- making the team tick. Well, uh, anyone was going to be an
1: upgrade on Matthew Flamini at that stage, right?
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, I mean, there were a couple of games he played with Cochola. I remember there was a breakdown Adrian Clark did that really stuck in my mind where he talked about how the two of them, you, you could put a 10-yard rope between them. And that was all down to El Nenny. You know, he really knew his spacings and he kept moving from side to side and giving Cochlearn options. And they looked pretty good, which is at that stage. I think Cochlearn's come on a bit from there. But at that stage, that was a testament to El Nenny, not mm-hmm. Um So uh, I was disappointed. I'm d- not saying he was terrible or bad, bad, but I was disappointed. Here's what I think Arson thinks. Mainly because it's probably what I think, but I've I've picked this up. He's criticised him for not being progressive enough in his passing. Um, and if you look at El Nenny's highlights reel from yesterday, um, or two days ago, um, he doesn't really have one. He did a very nice job keeping things taken over, and Arson wants more than that. And I, it left me wanting. I didn't see. He left it all to. Uh, uh, Chaka to find the through balls, to find the diagonals. El Neni is being too conservative, too safe, too nice, and it was okay on the day. So th- that was my biggest disappointment. The other thing I would say on this partnerships, I think it's been overplayed. I know what Arson said in terms of partnerships. I think he was mainly justifying why he's sticking with Cochle and Kazorla for this moment. And I don't think it means anything more than that. I think what's going to happen is Chaka will live up to his billing, become Mr. Connector. He's going to be the DM and he's going to partner with uh, Cazorla, El Neni, Ramsey. And uh, I haven't got around to writing this blog yet, but basically the cream will rise to the top.
2: Mm-hmm. One of
3: those partnerships or two of them depending on, you know, with injuries and with the vagaries of the season and the ups and downs and opponents. But I don't think it's going to be Cochrane Cazorla versus Chaka El Nenny or Chaka Ramsey. I think it's going to be Chaka, Mr. Connector Set. He's like the universal piece, is going to connect to those other guys and the best man will step forward or the best couple of men. And I don't think, I think... We've taken too much out of what Arson said, and we're thinking it's a series of pairs, which in reality everything is. But I think we've missed the fact that actually it'll be pairs, and the primary pair will involve Chaka and one or two other people.
1: Okay. I mean, I I guess we'll find out. I I think, you know, for me, Clive, watching Chaka play, and I tweeted this, and and this just really sums up kind of how I feel about it. It's hard for me to watch him play. and not think, gosh, this guy is the kind of quality and, and the kind of touch and technique and, and ability that I would just expect Arsene Wenger would want to have in the side. And and he punctuated that with maybe a little bit of a lucky, slightly deflected... Off his arse. Yeah, long blast for our opening goal, um, his second in, in two matches. But that was really the least important thing he contributed as you watched him on the day, and as the manager watched him on the day is is a performance like that in a competition like this enough to change the manager's mind about the starting pairing or is it or is it too entrenched at this point
4: i, I don't think he's worried right? and i'm I'm not worried about which pair starts or which players start because the first time in a long while we haven't got a player like Flamley in the squad that we all believe is below standard right who didn't know where to stand. Into our chemistry, didn't know when uh, when he's under stress he dropped too deep and the distances there was no rope with Flamley and any partner. All the ones with stress pointing and standing between my centre backs confusing them. So basically I'm I'm really happy with whatever happens and Paul, you're dead right. The cream will rise to the top. And I'm looking forward to seeing when that happens. When I look at the squad, I love Cochrane as well, right? And I think he's totally I think, he's t- I think he's totally misunderstood. People don't understand how he plays, how he's been asked to play, particularly at home, how he presses high when people are breaking and when we overload and people are breaking on us. I think he's the perfect Live
3: Clive, fans are ungrateful bastards.
4: They don't understand, right? They, all they, they do is... What we see is we see someone that can tackle, so we think he should be in front of the back four tackling when actually he's the perfect counter-presser He hits people on the transition. And from his tackles, we then go through disorganised defences. Defences are most disorganised when they have the ball. And he's the killer to actually break into that. And then we can go quick transition, bang, bang, and we get a shot and goal. So I think he's crucial. I think it's crucial at home particularly. People don't understand that. They say, no, we need him away. When they say that, they're speaking from fear. They're speaking from, we want our tackler to be there away from home. When actually, you want control away from home. You want control possession, good possession. When you're being pressured in tight spaces, you want to be a good people to get out. Shaka El and Kazola can do that, and um, I'm not worried. I think we are working progress in centre mid, and I think a lot of it depends on what we do up front. And there's been a major change to how we play, and everyone's talking about who we want to pick. But actually, let's look at who's not playing, right? And there are three major pillars that have come out of this team. We got Giroud, we got Ramsey, and we got Murata, and all three of them could be deemed to potentially slow our game down. All right, depending on your opinion. Murata, he defines where we stand at the back, so we're now we're a lot higher with Mustafi because he's a bit quicker. We got Ramsey, who you know I debate. I think he's more of a wide playmaker. When he plays in middle two, he vacates midfield, so we have no structure, and he's not a player that Bills play. And we got Giroud, and with Giroud, and I love Giroud for certain scenarios, but in other scenarios, he doesn't suit. And he doesn't suit our chemistry. And what I've noticed in the last maybe two and a half games is 11 players that play a similar way. Quick passing, quick movement, at pace, pushing people back, playing in their half, high line with pacey defenders, and what I call no contact, not up against body football. We've got no centre-forward fight with centre-backs, our centre four is coming deep, and we're picking him behind him. And when you're when you're a defender, all you want is someone to mark. And Sanchez is not giving them someone to mark. He's chopping in, and we're going around people. And I'm really excited about the development in our play. And I think the centre mid facilitates that. And once you recognise that, I think you'll know how we're going to play. And the one touch, quick movement of what we what we're seeing from four of them right now is it's just great to watch.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I I think. It's easy to look at the Hall match and and the Forest match and see some of those patterns. I think the challenge is if you go back a little bit further and you look at a match like PSG, where yeah. they played us right off the park, um, you know, and we really couldn't get near them. And you know, I, I think that's a match where you you see. The challenge with Coughlin, I, I agree with you in one respect very clearly, that what Coughlin is bringing to the side right now, people are saying he's playing box-to-box. Box. It's not that he's really playing box-to-box. Box, it's that he's being pushed further up the pitch to win the ball higher up the pitch and counter-press and create counter-attacking opportunities and and win the game in the transitions. And that's you know something that we've seen a lot with managers like Klopp. The problem I have is that's great when you lose the ball, but what happens when you're in possession? What does he do when you're in possession? So... Yes, he's been very effective when he can win the ball back high up the pitch with a counterpress, but when we're in possession and he's pushed far, farther up the pitch, I think he's kind of a, a missing link. And that's why, you know, if you're going to play that way and you want someone energetic and effective at counterpressing, I think it should come from the team as a whole and moving in unison to close down with two and three players on whoever gets the ball but those players have to be technically skilled because if you win the ball, you then need to be able to make that perfect pass, that first touch, that immediate distribution on the, on the in the transition to create opportunities. I definitely see Coughlin bringing that counter-pressing energy and tackling capability. I'm not sure I see the technical skill to do as much with the ball, and I'm not sure that I see enough coordinated pressing. But, you know what, time well, will but tell. But don't
3: you feel, Elliot... Um, mm-hmm you know i might i might negotiate some of those points but i see where you're coming up from don't you yeah. think the part of the the frustration between if you like the two camps on Kokola if mm-hmm. you ignore the extremes is that we're talking about him as if the other side thinks they're a first he's a first team player and i'm not sure anybody really does i think he's a very strong role player yeah. Yeah. Well, and so I, let me
1: ask you this. Is your is your expectation that when Ramsey is fit, it will be Ramsey and Chaka? Uh,
3: I don't... You see, I, I think people are looking way too far ahead. The only reason it isn't already, say, Chaka and Cazorla mm-hmm. is just because Wenger hasn't had any breathing room. That's it to me. That's what I see.
1: So you think it's uh, still a betting-in period?
3: Yeah. I, he, he, I mean... He Did he not, you know, this is the bit I don't understand. Did he not tell us? He said, we lost the first game, you know, in brackets, fucking crisis looming. Uh, We drew the second one. You know, he he wanted some stability. And then, you know, what does stability mean, he's asked. So he says, well, I like this pairing, meaning this this pairing's proven. And I think we've gone way overboard trying to work out why he hasn't played this person or that person. I mean, he did play Chaka and Kazorla. Uh, they did well in the first half against Watford and they were shy in the second half. Uh, Cause I don't think they had the legs. And then you, you look at a couple of other things that Chaka did along the way defensively. And he's not quite with the pace yet. I'm not slagging him off, but you know, the goal against Hull, I mean, that's his guy running up the wing there. Cause he was the wrong side of him. And he looked a little slow there. And I'm not saying he's not match fit, and but you know you need he needs to come into the the team with the right partner. If that's going to be Kozorlev in the short term, I'd be delighted. And they need to find a game when they're ready to do it. And we're probably a pro You know, we've got to get past Chelsea, and then I think the manager. If, if we do again okay against Chelsea, uh, I think the manager will start looking for an opportunity to be introducing Chaka beyond. 20 minutes at the end of a game, but right. that's still useful too. So uh, that's all I, I think we're lo- straining too hard to see a design of a season that hasn't, is actually just entirely tactical, not strategic. That's fair.
1: Look, I, I, you know, and I think my, my worry is the PSG matches is an example of something that we've seen from Arsenal before that worries me, which is playing a high line but not putting adequate pressure on the ball, and what worries me about this idea of pushing Cocklin further up to counter press, when you try to counter press with one energetic player and it's not coordinated with multiple players in the squad, you know, three, four, five guys up front. If if you play against a very technical and skillful side like PSG, even though they're down, they still have some very technically skillful players like Di Maria, for example. If you get past that first pressure Cocklin creates, you have tremendous space to play into behind. And Edison Convani, you know, thankfully his finishing was off, but his runs took advantage of that. that that's the only worry. Let, let's move off Coughlin because, like, we've now devoted, like, every single podcast this season to him, basically. And <laughs> and I think it is a polarizing topic that, much like many Arsenal polarizing topics, will be discussed in two circles. And neither side will ever be wrong or right. Coughlin is a good player with good skills. And he, like I said at the start of the podcast, he doesn't fit my eye. I don't love that style but that doesn't mean he's not a fit um
3: and part of the trouble between us is i really i really enjoy him to my eye i really enjoy him so that's kind of and and that's kind of that's why i thought it was a really good point you made i think you know sometimes that's 60 percent of it
1: yeah um
3: it's does it does it you know, does it excite you? Do you like what it does? And I, I, agree with you. A lot of people can't stand the way we play with cockland. There, I don't look. I, I love watching but... Andre
1: Arshavin, the fat, lazy, yeah. sob that he was. You know, I mean, some players yeah. are just your cup of tea. You know, yeah. um, Clive. One of the things that makes this competition special is it's been a chance for young players to try to earn their their. Arsenal career, so to speak, you know, earn yep. their way into the first team, make a mark. We've seen some players make a mark in this competition, but fail to really move on from it. And others who really have been able to to push on. And the two, I think that really had a lot to prove. I'm not going to put Oxlade Chamberlain in that camp because he's a, a first team player, whether he's earned that or not this season, different issue, but it would be Chuba Akpom and Jeffrey in Adelaide. In your opinion, um, either one of them impress you enough, to suggest they're ready to push on and start making some first-team appearances this season?
4: Oh, yeah. They did. They both did. I think Tuba... I, I, let me do Tuba first, right? So um, his loan period last year, I thought, was OK. right? And I, He started to look like he belonged at the level, and that was a bit worrying, actually, because he, he I didn't think he'd have the sharpness. And um, But when he plays for Arsenal, he works very, very hard. Do I think he's top, top class? I'm not sure yet, he's still young. He's always been the superstar. Him and Iwobi came up in the same year, academy level, and it was all about Tuba, and Iwobi was the quiet one that no one was too sure about. But suddenly, about a year and a half ago, it flipped, and Tuba was the one that went on loan, and Iwobi is the one that stayed, and we all know the rest is history, right? So Iwobi looks very comfortable with his skin, and Tuba's now working his way to try to convince the manager. He looks okay. He looks better than some we've seen in the past. I'm not 100% convinced yet, but he's in the right place. He's working, and, and I'm and I'm fine with him. Whereas Jeffreyn Adelaide now, I mean, he looks he looks special. Actually, he looks very progressive, very mature. His body movement is great. The way he receives the ball, his body preparation, his vision is fantastic. And he's already six foot plus, and he's only was he 18, and um, so. I've looked at his some of his youth games and what they're doing with him, they're moving him around from different sides to the, on the on the left side to the right side. They're also playing him as one of the midfield two. And I think that's potentially where he could end up as that driving player from the centre midfield. And when you look at him driving from the centre pitch on against uh, Forrest, you've got to say to yourself, wow, that's the sort of thing that Jack Wilshere used to do. Drive, get Mm -hmm. it, beat his man, and just run away from people, right? So what's happened to Jack due to injury? He can still beat you, he can still step you, but people are catching him and they're crunching him, and that's why he's picked up injuries, right? So Jeffrey and Adelaide, I like this group, and one of the reasons I like this new group of youngsters is that physically they don't look like they're going to be bullied. So Adelaide is one, Maitland-Niles is another, Tuba's another, and obviously Wobi. Wobi has got the biggest pair of shorts you've ever seen in your life. He's as strong as a wardrobe. You can't knock him off the ball. And he's still young, right? So I think physically these guys can cope, which gives me a lot more hope that they won't disappear like some of the ones we've seen in the past.
1: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think the question with for, for me with Chuba is just where the opportunity is going to come. You know, the, the one challenge um that I think any young player is gonna have now to get into this side is just that it is a deeper team. You know, no matter how much we grouse and grumble and complain about certain things or I do with the side, um, there's just a lot more depth now. Um you're not you know, you're talking about uh instead of Flamini being the debatable player it's Shaka or Elneny or or Cochlin, right? Um, I mean instead of um I'm trying to even think of who a third or fourth choice forward might have been last season. And, you know, instead of discussing, like, whether Joel Campbell should get a start, it's it's a Lucas Perez. So, I mean, there's just a lot more depth. And I think if you look at Chuba and, and Jeff, where do they come in? Paul, I mean, what, are, is there going to be an yeah. opportunity for them this season? I mean, Iwobi has shown that if you have the quality, that the manager will find a place. And we've discussed on previous podcasts how important he's been playing those those intricate passes on the edge of the area. I, I think just to me, Rain Adelaide seems to have a little bit more sophistication to his game, whereas Palm is based on a lot of energy and drive and work and tenacity. Um, but did either of them yeah. do enough for you to suggest that there, there may be a first-team opportunity coming?
3: Well, I thought, based on one performance, I would say I thought Chuba was really impressive uh, two days ago. As a squad player, interesting. See, uh, I was more I,
1: impressed with Je- with Rain Adelaide just in terms of the yeah. the sophistication of his overall performance. But but yeah. um, I tend uh, to have a more sophisticated
3: a eye than you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs>
2: uh,
3: I what I liked about Chuba was it was the first time I've seen him. We saw him like a year or two ago, and he was like a greedy little bastard who was trying to score all the goals in preseason. And then we yeah. saw him this preseason, and he was still kind of all about Chuba, uh, and this was the first game. I mean, he had a little speech after the game, but he lived it during the game. I thought he was very, very. He knew he was the winger. He didn't try and be the striker. Um, it
1: seemed to suit him better, didn't it? It,
3: uh, yeah, um, and uh, I don't know. I liked. it. I thought he worked. He did work hard going both ways. So he was marking that Pereira guy who was an absolute feckin' and twat. Uh, the guy they got from was uh, from Portugal. From uh, I think it's not Sporting Lisbon. Hildeberto Pereira?
1: Guy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who like lit up the place the first five minutes or so, beating everybody. He was mm-hmm. really fast. I think he's like under 20s Portugal or something like that. Yep. Anyway, really fast. And then Chuba warmed up to the task and did a very good job keeping him quiet and showed his own pace against him. He's Chuba's very physically strong. He gave that guy a really good game. And, you know, you could argue the toss either way, but I thought Chuba compared very well against him, took on his responsibilities. You know, if you look back at Jeff, he had a lot of flicks and tricks that did not come off. And I thought it was kind of, I liked his, I liked a lot of what he showed. I thought a lot of it was immature. Um, and which is okay. I mean, it's the League Cup. He's whatever age he is, eighteen. Chuba looked like a guy who was actually trying to make the point that he would not fuck it up in the Premier League with his performance. I thought it was more measured, more assured. Uh, I, I mean, I had a really good look at him second time around, Elliot, because mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of a performance I like. How, liked do, you, how
1: fr- do you watch a game that wasn't broadcast twice? <laughs>
3: Uh, off Reddit Football Highlights.
1: Okay, you heard it here first. Yeah. Reddit Football Highlights. Yeah. I, by the way, not received my check from them yet, so no. we're not mentioning <laughs> that again. Um, no. Yeah, sorry. Right, so,
3: But he's still screwed in terms of getting into the squad. You'd need uh, a couple of injuries, maybe Welbeck not making it back, mm-hmm. and uh, something terrible happening to somebody whose name I don't want to mention. I'm going to because- tell you something, Paul. Yeah.
1: I'm pretty sure we can make something terrible happen to somebody in yeah. this crowd
3: before it's all said up. Yeah, you see, it's, it seems ridiculous <laughs> and impossible now, but let's give it a few months.
1: So, look, the, Granit Chaka takes some of the headlines because there's so much debate about what he should be or not be in terms of the starting lineup. Um, but Lucas Perez played in this game and got a couple goals. Um, I think it it's... Everybody's sort of scratching their head as to who this guy is going to be at Arsenal and and how the manager sees him Clive I think um it was an up and down performance, but overall i was I was pretty impressed with him and the goal that he scored not the penalty but the one where it was just pure tenacity and energy and and effort and then touch and co- composure I mean it was it was a Suarezian goal in some ways um some would say a Vardy-esque goal, but fuck that I'll say Suarezian I prefer that um. We haven't seen a lot of them, but what did you think of, of uh, Lucas's performance?
4: I think it's quite interesting, because right? obviously we got introduced to him in a Vardy-type way. right? So we're thinking, OK, we didn't get Vardy, we got this guy. And OK, we got a forward, let's, let's be happy with that. We looked at YouTube and we see him running past everybody and smashing the top corner. And we think, OK, great. We got our speedster up front. And then when we saw him against Southampton... He was quite sort of circumspect, he was quite cautious, he looked quite nervous, but there was one thing I saw with him, he got the ball on the left hand side against Southampton, he just sort of got it, came inside, rolled his foot over the ball and flicked it around the corner, good pass, and I thought well, oh, straight away he can combine with this group, straight away, and that's see your first game, I thought, okay that's interesting. And then when we saw him the other day, he uh, he was probably, he was gonna come on at PSG, but I think we scored and we changed our attack. And then um, we saw him the other day and I thought, okay, let's have a good look at you now. And straight away, the first thing you can see is he, he's, again, he's got the chemistry. He can combine, he can, he can go one touch, he can flick it around the corner. When he's got the ball in wide areas, because he's, he's played out wide, he doesn't look strange in wide areas. He can dribble. He can dribble away from the press and keep the ball. He's got good vision. He's got a no-touch turn.
1: It was a nice he, little a touch uh, to release Oxlade-Chamberlain for the late goal.
4: Yeah, exactly. He's a real footballer. That's just like a no-look touch round the corner, Yeah, bang, in on goal. And that's like he's, he's only played like an hour or so, right? And you're thinking, okay, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. He is 27-28, so you expect him to you know, not have his school satchel over his shoulder while he's playing. But basically, he looks a good footballer. And it's quite interesting, the, the rising confidence once he scored the penalty at Forest. It was visible, you know, visible yeah, that he grew into the game. He grew into the game. And he looks like a real player. And I'm not saying we've got Thierry Henry here, but we've got an Arsenal player. And from there on, it's, OK, what can you do for us? He got, he's got what I call real clarity of game. He knows when to keep it, knows when to pass it, knows when to run with it. And when he got in behind that defender, what was really clear to me, he had one thing on his mind. get, Let me get in behind him. Let me put him under pressure. And I love players who've got a clear game who know what they want to do. There's a space there. I want to get there as quick as I can. And I'm going to show determination. And when I get there, I'm going to show the technique to finish.
1: It was a little I bit Welbeckian, right? I mean, kind of like the Welbeck yeah. goal in the FA Cup at, at United. Right? I mean, it's, it's not a goal Giroud scores, but it, that is kind of what Welbeck does is he doesn't give up on a ball. He's got the pace to get there, but then the strength to, to, st- to hold it up. And, and what impressed me about that the most was not his, his speed to get to it, but the strength to, to win yeah. that challenge. You know, he, he doesn't strike you as a guy who's got that much about him physically.
4: It's actually, it's very, you spot on, right? And that is another bit, if you watch it closely, as that play was building up, he didn't set off 100 miles an hour and run offside. He waited, he waited, and then he went. And as he went, the ball came. And that's timing, right? And that, that's somebody that knows what he's doing. And he caught the defender. The defender was then reaching and off balance, and then you could push him and, and go through and score. So to me, he looks like a footballer. And that's a great start. it's looks like an Arsenal footballer, which is an even better start. And it's about how we combine him now. And again, it comes back to us feeling comfortable as fans. We've got this, (laughs) you're gonna do well to get a tracksuit top on at the moment in this squad. And Mm -hmm. if you do, you're doing really well. And, um, And we've got to get comfortable with that. And we're gonna have to trust the manager that he actually is gonna play those horses for courses. Well, well, that, that's the challenge, to,
1: though, right? I mean, I mean, Leicester had one good 11 last season and won the title with it. We may have two really good 11s, but not one great one. I mean, isn't that isn't that a worry that that we, we have like, 20 really good players, but not 11 league-winning ones?
4: Yeah, I tell you what, I look forward now. I, I I look for 11 players that play an Arsenal way. I think for too long we've had what I call a certain number of players that have had many major dips in form. And we've had to play them through. I mean, Theo Walker at the moment is playing really, really well. There was many weeks last season when he wasn't playing well, and we had to keep playing him. You know, and um, I don't think we have that option any longer. We don't have to do that. If someone's not doing it for a couple of weeks, we can put someone else in and keep our overall levels up. And come back to I keep saying it, we've got to get used to that. And this is what we've always wanted. We've wanted accountability. We've wanted competition and competition drives performance and i've been waiting for this for years and i've got to say i'm really excited by the squad depth i'm not worried about it because you said it the cream will rise and we just gotta watch and enjoy it
1: well well paul said it i i don't like to talk about cream and things rising it makes me uncomfortable (laughs) um but look there's one guy who needed some cream to rise and that's alex oxlade chamberlain and I mean, it was definitely the proverbial game of two halves for him. I thought he was really bad the first half, especially in a side that was playing well. But he turned it around, and Paul, I mean, Ox is someone where any glimmer of light would be welcome right now. You know, he's like down in the basement, chained to it with the door locked, and, you know, we got a a ray of light. The second half was an improvement, and then he gets the goal from a really nice Perez uh, assist, by the way, and the smile on his face and the way the team congratulated him – was that just a little window into? Hey, this is a player everybody really likes, and everybody sees is really struggling, and just maybe a nice moment to get that that thousand pound weight off his shoulder finally, and maybe maybe start him back in the right direction.
3: Yeah, I think so. I don't know about finally because, you know, I, I think he's a candidate for a number of false dawns. I don't think there's any. You, you know
1: what I mean? The, oh yeah, no, I look yeah. you you know where I stand on on how yeah. he's been so far, but I just it's interesting to see how a team reacts to a player scoring. You know, you see the yeah. the smile across his face, the feeling like thank God, but just everybody, I mean it's the fourth yeah. goal in the 90th minute to beat a lower division opponent in the League Cup. Usually that's the kind of goal where everybody just runs back to the center circle, but everybody ran to him and really celebrated with him. I think yeah. He's a popular guy, and, and that sort of indicates to me that everybody knows he's really, he really needs things to start going his way, right?
3: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, one of the reasons I have particularly a lot of time from is he watches every game twice. I don't know if you saw that. Did you? Yeah. yeah I, did
1: I, I know someone else who does that, and he's an awful <laughs> form also. So, I mean, it, maybe that's the problem. <laughs>
4: So
3: it's clearly only a matter of time before he becomes one of the best players in the world because he watches every game twice. (laughs) Okay, look,
1: let's move on. Um, All
3: right, okay. But quickly, I would say, um, you know, when I had a really good BDI on him, he was a mixed bag. Uh, And, you know, you kind of say, well, it was the League Cup. He should have been really good. Um, You know, he tends to shine in the preseason. He tends to shine in the really soft games um future star for a... like
1: Birmingham or something is that what you're saying Yeah
3: <laughs> Yeah but I thought this you know it, uh Nottingham Forest were actually really good opposition so I think people who played well last night it was pretty real okay it's not Chelsea as we're about to find out but it was but Look United was made heavy game. weather
1: of Northampton man I mean it, you know Yeah they all count. We've we've lost recently to Sheffield United in this competition. We've yeah. we've lost to, what, Bradford? I mean, you know, it happens.
3: Yeah. Uh, I'd also say we played very well to the eye last night, and yet it was a really close game. I know it was 4-0, but you watch. You know, we score a goal. Sec- was it the second goal was a penalty? Yep. Um They had plenty of opportunities, and if you just ignore kind of chances, chances, uh, we kind of finished our chances or maybe did a little bit more with the chances in the end. The overall game was pretty even. Um, so I think it was pretty meaningful when you assess performances, at least to a certain level. And I thought he was a mixed bag. I thought uh, he was a bit better than usual, but not good enough to just suddenly think, Hey, it's a comeback.
1: Yeah. Um, Clive, uh, final thoughts on Ox.
4: I just thought it's interesting um, that Venga basically said after the game that this is the first time that he's been physically ready to play, and um, and he was pleased with him. And for me, the number one thing that pleased me that he, was he played 90 minutes. If you think back, when was the last time you see him play 90 minutes?
1: Well, he when when was the last time we've had the luxury of? I mean, not not to play total devil's advocate, but when was the last time we had the luxury of leaving him on? I mean, yeah, he's he's played I, kind of poorly in some in some games where it's been up in the air, you know.
4: I think my thing with him is everyone says his confidence, and he is a confidence player, but if you think what underpins his confidence, and for me, is his physical condition. I think if his physical condition is high, he plays well. And often we see the best of him early in the season, when he maybe is ahead of other people fitness-wise and he feels good, and then his confidence goes when his physicality goes. He's an explosion athlete. He, he runs almost like a linebacker, right? He's, he's very explosive, but his recovery is not great. Mm-hmm. He's not as metronomic as you need him to be for a for a midfielder. But when he explodes, it's like bang, pull the out of a gun. I think he has to work harder on his on his physical fitness, on his you know on his really aerobic fitness. And if he can stay in games longer, I think he can be more effective longer. I think he makes tired mistakes, and when he makes tired mistakes, then he loses his confidence. I think what we saw was somebody that finished the game strong. And I have not said that about Oxford a long time. You know how His best period was the last 25 minutes. I mean, that's not the case normally. His best period is the first 10 minutes he's on the pitch, right? So um, I think physically he has to do some work. If he does that, he, he might get another contract.
1: Yeah. I, you know, my biggest problem with him, Clive, is just that I think he is I completely agree with you that he's an explosive athlete um, that he his athleticism is one of his best skills I think he's a player with tremendous individual technical skills can dribble can shoot has a good touch you know for for the most part I mean I've seen him take some terrible ones but he can uh, bring the ball down on the run he's very explosive very quick but in a team ethic, he struggles to make the right decisions with respect to bringing his teammates into the game and with respect yeah. to helping his teammates defensively. And I think that is the microcosmic.
4: You need to have some layers to each game. Yeah. And he yeah. It's it exactly. He it's the opposite.
1: It Sorry, it was the opposite of what I was saying about Ren Adelaide, who I said had sort of a cultured and sophisticated performance. Oxlade Chamberlain has not really shown that kind of cultured, sophisticated approach to the game. Um, it reminds me almost a little of a young Theo when he was criticized for not having a football brain. Um, you know, a yep. lot of physical skills. Great. But but maybe not the, the, the finished article yet, which is fine, there's still time, but it's certainly ticking away with respect to Arsenal. I want to move on because I, I want to get to the, the game coming up at the weekend, but before we do that, the draw... Um, Certainly gives us some reason to believe that, that this could be the year in the League Cup. Not that's what anybody was really hoping for when the season started, but we'll take anything. <laughs> I mean, uh, we get Reading at home, so another smooth 7-5 to five victory there. Um, and then it's West Ham hosting Chelsea, it's Liverpool and Spurs, it's United and City. Um, so it is. it opens up a little bit. I mean, look, that means there's the possibility that we could still get a City or a United or a... Chelsea or Spurs or West Ham or, or uh, uh, Liverpool at, after the next round. But certainly you would have to like our like our chances a little bit better than you would have going into that draw. But let's put the League Cup behind us for a minute and just touch on briefly the, the weekend coming up. I mean, uh, certainly we've picked the right time to have all the refereeing decisions in the world going our way. But with Diego Costa coming to town, it's possible that could change. Um, Paul... Any surprises you expect with who the manager will put out, or do you think it'll be the same side that faced Hull?
3: Well, I guess the big decision for him is going to be Giro. Uh, how much of it was a big toe, and how much was uh, Giro in the doghouse?
1: No, it's totally Giroud in the doghouse. Come, you don't believe the toe injury thing, do you?
3: Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I tend not to believe it. Uh, and if that's certainly if that's the case, I think uh Giroud's going to have to come off the bench if he wants to play in this game. So I'm not sure. Um but the, to obviously the Giroud decision is the big one and everything flows from that. I, I, I suspecting he's not ready to change the midfield yet. The defense is pretty set. So you know uh, kind of comes down to is Alexis going to play on the wing or in the center. Um so, yeah, I think the, if I had to bet, I'd bet the team's the same. It's always a safe bet. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see with Giroud whether he fancies facing Chelsea without him.
1: I don't think there's one shot in hell he plays Giroud. What about you, Clive? Any changes from the team that faced Hull?
4: I don't see Giroud playing. And, I, and I'm wondering what we're seeing right now is a team developing away from him. We're speeding up. We're, we're far more fluid, and I, I'm not sure that... He is the future for us, but let's see. Well, let's how agree we go. with this. The
1: best football we played was the first half of last season when Theo was playing up front. Yeah,
4: the um, highest levels have been with without Giroud. Yep. Yeah, um, The two games I always quote is the Cup Final Villa, and the first 19 minutes versus Manchester United, and you could probably say Leicester away as well. They were the three highlights of last calendar year, and um, Giroud didn't play. I'm not against him. I just feel our highest levels are when he when he's not there, and um, so I don't think he'll play. I think it'll be a similar front three. I think the only selection will be potentially we are quite small and Chelsea are quite tall, and I think um, without Giroud we may have to do something in centre mid and pick somebody taller there just so we can defend their set pieces. It's a it's a way they use to score goals. If I was them, I would put that ball into the box, into the back post, and I would. They've got a lot of tall players, so maybe Shaka instead of Santi. That's the only thing I could see, just for this game. It's nothing against Santi. I love him, but I just feel maybe a bit more physical dominance against their taller players could be needed.
1: They uh they played extra time in midweek, wound up winning comfortably in the end with a couple goals in extra time over Leicester. Um, What are your thoughts on them, whatever thoughts you have on them, other than that they're huge, horrible blue cunts? Um, (laughs) What what are your thoughts on them and what you expect from the game?
4: They walk into this game really confident, right? So there was a time we had the Indian sign over them, and no matter how badly we were playing, we could always beat Chelsea. Well, that's been reversed, apart from the odd odd occasion. So they're going to walk in confident. They're going to play their diagonals right to – sorry, their right to our right side – into that channel where Mustafi and Bellerin are going to be. If I was Costa, I would I would want to work out what Mustafi's got. Mustafi's not the biggest, but he's quite aggressive and decisive, and we need to physically dominate Costa to discourage him. I think, I'm hoping Mustafi can do it. He's not he's not a kid. He seems quite calm, but he's very aggressive, very front for it. That's going to be the area that side. Hazard, Costa running in, doubling up. If we can secure that side, I think we'd be good, but the, the key thing is to stop the service, and that's why I think Cochland will play, get their heads down, stop the ball over the top, which we are vulnerable to. If we can do that, and we're efficient, we score first, and we make them chase, I don't think we've got a great chance of turning this round.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that scares me is, I think they could create a lot of problems for us in wide areas. Um... You know, they play back five, back three, back five with wingbacks and possession, right? Um, I think Eden Hazard could be a real problem. I think we've had problems in the wide areas, especially when a and Oxalade-Chamberlain started. I don't think it'll be a and Oxalade-Chamberlain. I think it might be a and Theo, but they're going to have a lot of work on their hands protecting Monreal and Bellerin. Um, you know, and I, I would just hate to see Bellerin left on his own to, to handle uh Eden Hazard who's who's in pretty pretty fantastic form again um it'll be interesting I, I would love to see the manager change it a little bit I'd love to see him play Lucas up front with with Alexis and and will be on the wings I'd love to see him play Shaq obviously in midfield I don't think we'll see either of those Paul um what do you expect from the match in terms of the performance and and the challenge that Chelsea presents
3: I don't know really but the couple of things I'm looking out for. Her. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting with Costa this time. When you look around the pitch, I don't know who he's going to piss wind, off. Wind <laughs> yeah. Well, I do, actually. He's going to work out who's our most windable, upable player at the moment. And that's so Santi Dazorla. <laughs>
1: no,
3: no, Santi. <laughs> yeah, Santi. Yeah. Wild man Santi. So um, <laughs> if we can keep them apart, we're probably all well, right. Well, to
1: be fair, it's been a kinder, gentler costa a little bit right i mean he he yeah. he's been a little, a little serene by his own standards
3: yeah i guess conti and him have had some kind of a meeting of minds um but anyway it's arsenal and uh, i don't think costa will be able to resist getting a trying to get a player sent off but he's going to be facing a german center half who uh, hopefully doesn't betray his culture and mm-hmm. kishelny showed that he would eat costa's shit and still avoid taking a yellow card the last time. So uh, I think that's going to be an interesting, really interesting battle. I think the other piece of it will be Hazard's wing, because we've seen Bellerin and Walker building a much better partnership, uh, could well get very tested this time around. But it's also a wing, because it's Hazard, that we could have a a lot of opportunity on going the other way. So I think that's going to be a very interesting part of the field to watch.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, I, I, gosh, I have really big concerns about this game and I would love nothing more than to beat the crap out of Chelsea, especially at home where we need, we need a lift and we need to lift the home fans. And I think it's a referendum on a lot of things because this season results wise isn't off to a horrible start. Um, but performance-wise, with the exception of Hull and Forrest, it's it's been troubling. And you know, we talk about XG a lot. XG was our friend last season when the first half we were dominating the league in that statistic and predicted to win the title on the basis of that. Um, and this season we've been poor. And so it'll just be interesting to see. I think um, you know we we've had really one major challenge quality-wise at home this season against Liverpool and their pressure just destroyed us in the end. Um, So, you know, hopefully we've, we've learned some lessons. I I think it will be fascinating to see who he picks and how they play, but it it is, it is an important moment in the season because the other thing is we have some very easy, very winnable fixtures coming up uh, both in the cups and in the league. If we can find a way to get three points here, we could go on a run that could create, you know, the kind of momentum to where going into the dreaded November We are, you know, top of the league, tied for top of the league, close to top of the league. I mean, everybody wants to just hand it to City, but everybody wanted to just hand it to Chelsea, you know, a a season ago or to City a couple seasons ago. We know that how you start is not always how you finish. And I think the run coming up right now is going to really set the tone for whether we challenge this season. So it'll be interesting to see. Um I think that's enough. We should leave it there because uh, we want to get this out and everybody can listen to it and enjoy it. And Clive said way too much sensible stuff, so we're destroying the hashtag brand, and I can't thank you. Um, You can find Clive on Twitter at Clive P A F C. You can listen to him on the Gunnar Ramble podcast. I recommend it. I would avoid this one like the plague if at all possible. Clive, thank you so much for coming on.
4: No, I really appreciate it, guys. Cheers.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure. I learned a lot, which I can't usually say. Uh, And uh, Tim, you can. Find him nowhere because he didn't show up and he's not invited back. Fuck him. Yeah. um, I think I saw a picture of him with Ian Wright on Twitter. So, you know, if he thinks that's important. Uh, Anyway, uh, and Paul, you can find him on Twitter at PositiveMyPants. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure. Pleasure is mine. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. My name is Elliot Smith. Please give us five stars on iTunes, and then underneath the five-star rating, write all kinds of terrible shit about us, especially me. Uh, I particularly enjoyed the review that said they would like to punch me in the fleshy patch where my testicles should be. Um, But until next time, up the arsenal. Hope we can get three points against Chelsea at the weekend. We'll be back after the next game. Cheers. (laughs) Bye.